Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. So I'd like to thank all of you for being here today. We have a wonderful guest with us today, Reverend Lakeisha Womack. Lakeisha has more than 15 years, hey Lakeisha, 15 years of experience as a consultant. She's worked with clients worldwide to provide brand management, business planning, marketing strategies, and political advising. She began working as a church growth consultant in 2016, where she created the concept of rethinking church to challenge con congregations to rethink how they engage with their members and their communities. Based on those findings, she the Rethinking Church project evolved from a workshop series to a workbook to an engaged community of over 1,000 members. In July 2020, Lakeisha launched the Rethinking Church Virtual Summit, featuring more than 60 sessions over four days to address how, think, how churches think about church administration, Christian education, digital discipleship, advocacy, evangelism, and mental wellness. The organization also hosted a voter education symposium, a digital discipleship symposium, a pastors do more than preach conference, and they will host an economic empowerment symposium in September of this year. With that, I'd like to welcome Reverend Lakeisha Womack, and I'll let Daddy Rich take it away. Wow. O-M-G. Thank you, Katie, for getting us started. I appreciate the icebreaker. I love it. I'm going to expect you to do one of those every single week, and I have no idea how you're going to do it, but thank you for getting us started. Dr. Lakeisha Womack. Wow. Girl, I remember when we were in undergrad, when we were doing a thing at Vandy, we were doing our thing. And then I remember I caught up with you about, I don't know, 10 years ago. And your son had to be like six, seven years old. I don't know. But I just saw him in the background. He looks like a grown man. How old is he now? He is 15. Here he comes again. Oh, man. 15. Grown man. What's up, people? I see you. Oh, my goodness. Get rid of him. Get him out the house. ASAP. <laughs> But yeah, I'm loving this thing that you're doing. And I mean, as I was preparing for this and getting ready, I'm just researching on the internet. I'm reading your bio and I'm so, so, so pleased. And I'm so, so proud of you. But you know, if you would just get, tell us about you. Tell us about the history of how you got started and how you started doing what you're doing. So um, my story is not the traditional road to ministry. Um, when I got pregnant with my son, I decided to move back to Alabama and um, because I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And it was expensive to live on my own and be a stay-at-home mom. But living with my mom, it was free. And so my mom was very involved in the church. And I had not been going to church. I grew up in the church. I was sick of church, didn't want anything to do with the church. And so I would go to all these church services with her because they serve food. So it was like there was always an afternoon program and I knew I was going to get some fried chicken some macaroni and cheese and somebody's grandma was going to bake a cake so that was my incentive and um and the the, the 
the thing that they say, like if you plant a seed and you allow the Lord to water it and you allow the Lord to um, to fertilize it, that it will grow. And so the more I started going, the more the seed that was already in me started to grow. And I started to notice that there was a lack of young adult involvement. And so I was like, you know, where are the young people? And they were like, you know, we don't know. We don't know what to do. And so just, you know, thinking about practical ways to connect um, church or church life or spirituality or ministry to what is naturally happening in young adults lives and so I um I started doing ministry within our area and my pastor at the time was like you know the Lord has a calling over your life and I was like you don't know me like that like don't be saying stuff to me like that and so he said well I want you to come and speak at my church and I was like sure and so I remember pacing wow. in my mom's living room and I was like all right Lord like, I just need an ounce of the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't want to be up there shouting or nothing, but I just need like a little bit just so that I know that it's real. And ever since that moment, like, I've just been sold out. Like, um, that ounce, like I tell people, like, you don't need a whole lot. Like, if you pray for the Lord to inhabit your soul and to guide your feet, then he will do above and beyond what you can ever imagine. So even when people read my resume, I'm like, yo, that's not me. Like, that was when I surrendered to God and was just like, whatever you want me to do, I'm a vessel. I'm willing. Like I, I have no control. I don't do five-year plans, 10-year plans. I just wake up and like, all right, God, what are we doing today? And he gives me the vision and he meets me with the provision. So that's how we got here. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I love your story. Um, someone said this phrase and I was laughing because I hadn't heard it before. They said, you know, sometimes it's some kids that don't go to church. Now, I, I, I don't know what that means, but I do know that the good Lord knows how to find you wherever you are. But, but let, let, let's jump for it. Let's jump for it. I mean, now you're doing your thing. You're a church growth consultant. Is that fair to describe? So, so in one of the activities you have coming up is this conference in July. Do you mind telling us about that? We're going to get into some other questions, but I want to jump to the end because I think that's exciting opportunities. Tell us about it. Yeah, so Rethinking Church, um, as Katie mentioned, it started out last year um, after the after we were in the pandemic and people were trying to figure out like, you know, what do we do now? Like now the church doors are closed. It's like, yeah, but you are the church. But, you know, people needed to reimagine and rethink like how to do church. And so um, I saw a lot of people like doing conferences and they were using like Zoom to do conferences. And I was like, you know, I want to show them that there's another way that you can use technology to continue to do ministry and continue to have conferences and reach a broader audience. And so we did the conference last year and after it was over, everybody was like, all right, so what are we doing next year? And I was like, wait, like I wasn't thinking about next year, but um, the community just grew and people were so engaged in what we were doing. So we planned the summit for this year and um, we have three days. Um, there are about 75 different um sessions that will be happening. We have um, Jennifer Maxell Watley as one of our keynote speakers, Dr. Otis Moss III, and Dr. Um, Pamela Lightsey as our keynote speakers. We have six cohorts. Um, we'll be looking at church administration and Christian education, economic empowerment, digital discipleship, demographic ministry, um, social impact, and worship and art. So really just helping people to think more broadly about church. The church is not just what we do on Wednesday and Sunday, but how do we really live our faith and live it in a way that, you know, does not make you feel like, oh, I got to forsake the world, but how do we impact the world and how do we become the change agents in the world? Well, well you know, thank you for that, because as I try to kind of follow you and keep up with 
all your activity. This is not your first conference of the year. This is what your third or fourth conference. This will be the third for this year. Yeah, this will be the third for this year. Wow. And I think you have at least, I don't know, 20 leaders, pastors, ministers in each conference. It's just like insane. I'm telling you why this excites me. I love collaboration. I love teamwork. I love when people come together and make something awesome. I can tell you and your team are doing that. And I just commend you to keep doing that because Lord knows that sometimes it's just hard to get two people, two households to do something. (laughs) And I see you, I mean, you're building new websites, you're standing up a new presence, you know, because I was joking with Katie. I'm like, Katie, I don't know which website is which because she just got so much. And you'd be like, that child, that was last month. But, you know, I can appreciate what you're doing. And I do not take for granted the amount of prayer, the amount of collaboration, the amount of humbleness it takes for all of you guys to come together and build that. But let's step back for a second. I want to step into some some nerd data type stuff. You know, this year, um, Gallup Research came out with a survey. And essentially, they start talking about church attendance, you know, millennials, Gen X, and other, you know, demographics. And they discovered that people ain't going to church anymore. What are your thoughts about that? What have you seen in your working with churches and organizations about how church attendance has been affected and what's happening with the younger generation? Yeah, so um, that's actually how I started, you know, becoming a church growth consultant. I had, you know, some people who were like, hey, that thing that you do with businesses and nonprofits, can you come and do that with my church? And so I thought, like most people thought that it was a branding issue. Like we need to do a better job of telling our story. We need to do a better job of marketing and we need logos and websites. And the more church congregations that I went into, I realized that it has nothing to do with the marketing or the branding, but it's about what's happening inside of the church. And a lot of churches are toxic environments. Like they are not, um, (laughs) they're not in the business of actually saving souls. Like they're almost like nonprofits who um, have volunteers that are doing fundraising and they're doing everything but offering people Jesus. And so the the really confusing part is they get mad when people don't want to come. So it's like there's something wrong with the people. The people need to come. And it's like, but at what point do you take an internal look and ask yourself, are we doing what the people expect? Are we feeding people? And I like to use the analogy that if you go to a restaurant and if the food is not good at that restaurant, you're not going to keep going back. But if you go to a restaurant and the food is good, you're going to tell all your friends, you're going to be like, yo, like that restaurant was so good. And so it's like at some point, if people are coming and not coming back, if you have members who are leaving, you have to take a personal inventory and say, you know, is our food as good as we think it is? Is our choir as good as we think it is? Is the preaching as good as we think it is? But the church does not want to do um, any self-reflection. And so we put the onus on other people. Well, people just don't want to come to church. And the reality is a lot of people are still going to church. They're just not going to your church. A lot of people still consider themselves spiritual and they're giving money to nonprofits and other organizations. They're not giving it to yours because they don't see where the money is going. They don't see the fruit of what they're um of what they're planting. And so I think that when they start looking at declining membership, you really have to do a self inventory and ask, you know, if this is happening in my congregation, what must I do? What must we do as a leadership team to become the place where people want to be? 
Okay. Th thanks for that. You actually surprised me with that answer. I was actually expecting something else, but um, from all of the amens in the chat, I can tell you're definitely uh, uh, speaking the truth that people want to hear. Um, tell me this, you know, it seems like you've seen the good, the bad, maybe the ugly. Are there any particular ways in which you think churches must evolve, evolve in order to stay relevant? Yeah, um, I always tell people like the church has a competitive advantage. The church tries to do fish fries. We try to do, you know, Zumba. We try to do like all these things. You're never going to beat the Zumba studio. You're never going to beat the fish restaurant. But we offer Christ. And I think that when we get serious about offering Christ and creating an atmosphere where people can have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, where people can get to know God, where they can learn about Jesus and figure out, like, how do I live this life? When we get serious about doing that work, instead of trying to do like all these other things, like these gimmicks to attract people, then we will see a resurgence of people coming to church. People are still going to church, but they're going to the churches where they feel like they're having an encounter. Counter. And a lot of times, like even as a black church, like we look at, you know, these white, you know, non-denominational churches that have the bands or whatever. And we're just like, you know, why are people because they're creating an atmosphere for people. They're creating an atmosphere where people feel like they're having an encounter and they use a lot of music to do that. And we can do the same thing, but we have to be intentional about it. It can't be like you just woke up this morning and it's like, all right, this is the program we had last week. We're going to copy and paste and do it again. And we're going to do an hour of power because we got to get out of here and go do something else. You have to be intentional about creating an atmosphere where people can have an encounter because that's why they come to church. They're not coming to church looking for Zumba. They're not coming to church looking for a fish plate. They're not coming to church to pay for your building fund. They're coming to church because they're seeking Christ. They're trying to figure out how do I live this life? What does God have to say about what's happening around me? And they're coming and they're finding everything but that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, as you spoke, it just really made me think about the concept of the things that get us distracted. Mm -hmm. We get distracted in life. And I never thought about the concept of even a church, even an organization can get distracted. They can begin to be focused on things that's not their, let's say, core mission or mission statement or values or things like that. And you're right. You can get in that reactive mode. You can get into that different place where you've maybe lost focus of the goal and refocusing can be of help. So you mentioned history. I, I, I'm really a fan of history. And, you know, I was joking with you earlier about the, the trolls on the internet and they'd be like, why y'all trying to segregate church and why black folks got to do this to church? And I'm, and of course I'm thinking like you, I'm like, I didn't create this, right? <laughs> I didn't take the word black and put it on the front of church, right? That thing has a long history. Some people, you know, you know, in one of my favorite books is, you know, that if in case people are wondering, one of my favorite books about the history of the church is that um, it's like the what is it? The history of the black church in America, Lincoln and Amelia. Um, a professor was out of Duke University. One of my favorite books and what it talks about. And I'll let you go is it talks about the church being the single most important, the black church being the single most important entity that has affected 
black people in this country. And when I thought about this, this institution, right? And I was like, you know what? What else would compete? What else would compare? So, and it had a history, it got there. But for people who are new to this, people who are like, I don't get it, you know, why black? Why can't we all just get along? Why we can't have black and white folks? Give us a brief history. And then, you know, take about, I don't know, I say 90 seconds, if you would, and just kind of, you know, start with, you know, slavery. I know that's where you're going to start. Come up through civil rights and let us know where we are today. Yeah, so, you know, the best way to describe it is it's complicated. And so I think when you look at how Black church was even established, like it was established, as you said, um, because of slavery. And if you just imagine for a moment that you're a slave and, you know, you have, you know, your cousins being hung from trees on, you know, Tuesdays and then on Sundays, you're supposed to come and worship, you know, this God who is all knowing and all loving, like that becomes, you know, kind of problematic. But the Black church was, so the Black church was started out of a desire for Black people to be able to worship in um, in spirit and in truth, which is what scripture says. And when people talk about like why the church is so segregated, it's not because Black people and white people have different worship styles, which is a part of it, but it was established because Black people could not worship in spirit and in truth in white churches. And there was even like some research that I did, and I'll have to look at my notes to get this right, but following the slave, revo the slave revolt, um, such as Nat Turner's rebellion, Virginia passed a law requiring Black congregations to only meet in the presence of white ministers. And that law was um, started to spread around the country. So imagine that, you know, you're trying to worship and you have, you know, people who are telling you that you can't worship unless there is a white overseer, you know, in your, um, in your worship experience. And so the black church um, became the invisible church is what some people were calling it, where they would go underground and have worship experiences. And one of the reasons that we have like call and response and we have hymns is because it was a mixture of this white evangelical experience, which is some of our um, some of our liturgy comes from, but also African spirituals and African traditions. And so a lot of people like really need to take some time to examine the history and not just assume that we don't worship together because of color, but it was actually because of culture and the way that we were treated. And um, black people weren't allowed to have leadership positions in the church. So it's just really complicated. I think that um, one of the best um, scenes we were talking about it in the pre-show that can describe like how complicated it is um, is the birth of a nation when Nat Turner and the white minister were going back and forth using scripture where Nat Turner was using scripture for liberation and the white minister was using scripture as a way to um, make um, the black people more docile. And I'll just tell a really quick story. Um, about three years ago when my book Unlynched came out, I was asked to be a part of this um, group and it was the world, um, I'm not even going to mess it up, but it was this organization in England that was doing a world tour because they realized that in their founding, they sent missionaries across the world to minister to Africans, not because they believed that Africans had a soul and that we were capable of salvation, but because the gospel would make us more docile and would make us better slaves. And so you think about these people who are doing mission work to black people, not because they thought that we were uh, that we were capable of making it to heaven, but because it would make us better slaves. So, you know, just the psychological manipulation that goes into um, white missionaries and black people is very complicated. And so it's more than just, you know, us being segregated on Sunday, but it's a tradition that uh, that that um, stems from. You know, one thing I love that you said, you said a lot, but I love the concept of worship in spirit and in truth. 
just last night I was on a book study um, um, cast and it talks about the, the origins of our, you know, discontent. And it, it was, we were talking about code switching, right? And some people, you know, we had a mixed audience. They're like, what is code switching, right? <laughs> and, and they don't even know. So, you know, and I'm thinking about the concept of worshiping in spirit and truth. But then white people show up and you got a code switch, right? You don't have to, but, you know, that's the respectability politics and what people did. So I, I love the way you described that because it really connected some dots for me. I'm going to get us close to the end and I got two more questions. So I think you've already said it, but tell me this, you know, let's talk about, um, I'm trying to see which question I'm going to go. If I want to talk about women in the church or I think I'll do, let's just do women in church. What are your ways in which you think the role of women in church differs you know, on, based on the color of the congregation? You know, I don't really know if it's a color issue or not, um, because I have, you know, white clergy friends and I have black clergy friends and um, we all seem to feel marginalized in the church because it is, you know, a system that is very um, male dominated yet like most of society, like you find that women do a lot of the work behind the scenes, but you know, men are the ones who are like put out front. So I think that, um, that it's not really a race issue um, from a, from the gender perspective. However, I do feel like um, black women are the backbone of the black church, even though most churches are led by um, black men. And it's really interesting because I've had a lot of, you know, black women to, you know, we have this discussion, especially as leaders that you will even find that there are black women who do not support black women as leaders. So, um, that's a that's another one that's you know that's very complicated and a lot of it comes from just like the messages that we've been taught and there's so much that we need to unlearn about what it means to be a leader what it means to be a minister what it means to exist in our society and as you see people unlearning some of these um eurocentric behaviors that we've been taught you do start to see a liberation and i think that the only way that the church is really going to flourish is if we start to accept that liberation exists for all people, full stop. Like there cannot be a condition on who liberation is for. It can't be liberation is only for black men. Liberation is only for straight people. Liberation is only for, liberation is for everyone. And it's not up to us to decide who should be a leader and who should be in position. Like that's God's work. Like our job is to make sure that people have that relationship with him so that they can be used in whatever manner um, God chooses. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, it just, I'm thinking about each one of these questions goes so deep. We could have a topic of discussion, a whole hour on one of these questions. So this this has been brief, but, you know, I want to just give you a chance to um, wrap up and tell us about where people can find you online. We're going to put your um, website in the chat. Tell us about your upcoming conference. You know, I'm pretty sure there's people out there who may be looking for some help, maybe looking for some support. Maybe um, I had a person tell me I need my pastor to be there because I want my pastor to hear this story from other people except his, you know, other people, not his own congregation. So I know people definitely want to hear the word, but if, go ahead, wrap us up. Cause I think when I asked you the other day, I'm like, Hey, Lakeisha, what is the key thing you want to walk away with? And the thing you told me is I want people to feel and understand that it is okay 
to do church differently. Go ahead and close us out. Give us a thought where people can find you and give us some closing remarks, please. Yeah, and just along those lines, like I'm a member of the Amy Zion um, denomination. And one of the reasons I love our denomination is because we have so many different churches. And I always tell churches, like, it's okay to be different. Every church should understand, like, who they serve. Like, yes, the gospel is for everyone, but just like with the cell phone example, cell phones can be used by anyone. But when ATT or, you know, Apple does a commercial, they have a specific customer in mind. Who am I speaking to with this message? And I think churches have to be that specific. If you have a children's ministry that you do really well, focus on your children's ministry. You don't have to be, a, you know, we meet everybody's needs because most of the time they don't have the resources to do that. So understand it. It's okay to be different. It's okay to do some things out of the box as long as it's theologically sound. Now, some of the stuff people are doing, I'm just like, that ain't in the word and that ain't got nothing to do with God. So y'all need to go back to the drawing board. But for all you people who are theologically sound and you just want to step outside of the box, don't be afraid to do that. Um, Rethinking Church, our virtual summit is July 14th through 16th. Definitely encourage you all to register and be a part of it. We have some dynamic um, presenters. I pray and search and find, you know, people who are doing the work. So these are practical sessions. These aren't just people who are theorizing about how you can have an impact on your ministry, but they're people who are doing the work and they're coming to share and, um, one of the things that I love about our community is that it is a community. So it's not just an event or a conference or a symposium, but, you know, we share resources. I've seen people, you know, make um, connections and they're talking to each other on Facebook. And I'm like, I know that y'all are connected because of an event that we did and um, to see them supporting each other. And, you know, there are so many, um, there are quite a few people on tonight that I met through Rethinking Church. And so it is a community. And that is what, you know, really excites me about this work. And I would love to invite you all to join our community. Find us on um, Facebook. It's the hashtag Rethinking Church Strategies. Um, We have discussions and just support each other. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to our next step in discussion. Please, we're going to take a, uh, a quick break, grab yourself a drink, and come back for discussion. KD, I'm going to switch. I'm going to put you on the camera so we can begin to um, d- dig into our discussion. Very excited about that. Thank you. Um, let's give some finger stabs, some thumbs up, some claps for Reverend Lakeisha Womack. I appreciate you, girl. Thank you for being there. And I'm registering for that conference because, you know, I ain't got no church, but I love learning and I love growing. So I'm going to be there. And I promise you that. Tell me where are my blue skies? Where is that love, y'all? Where is the love and the 
the joy that you promised me. Tell me it's alright. The truth is, I almost gave up on a power that I can't explain. The Holy Ghost power, y'all. Fell from heaven like a shower now. Now, I know we've been hurt, y'all, but still, I smile. Come on. Even though I hurt, see, I smile. Y'all feel that? Whatever you're in right now, smile, smile for me, smile, can you just smile for me, <laughs> and my people say, people welcome back tonight we're going to spotlight real quickly kc max barbecue friend of a family um is really really getting started on his barbecue and you know we're going to be spotlighting them pretty soon um i'm actually going to be barbecuing this weekend so i thought about it i'm like wait a minute let's go ahead and give brother his shine today i got his email address on there and um i think he on the online somewhere go ahead and speak up brother i think he on the lmc uh Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Rodney McLean from Kansas City, Missouri. I now live in Texas, though. I'm in the Dallas area, so uh, you need to try that KC Max barbecue. Uh, I've been doing barbecue for a long time, have my own restaurant. I used to be the caterer for the Kansas City Royals baseball team, and we got the fire, we got the fire recipe, so check us out. We got three different flavors. We got a spicy, a regular, and original. So we got a cherry chipotle is my new flavor. So I got that cherry chipotle about to come out. But I sent uh, my man Daddy Rich some of the sauce, so he's going to check it out this weekend and give his review, I guess. So he'll be happy, happy. Hey, hey, Pops, you know, I was going to send you some of this, Pops, but I know you got somebody else to do your barbecue. And so, you know, I'm I'm, going to have to uh, wait a bit before I send it to you, Pops. But, you know, I actually, I took the top off and right then I taste a little bit of it, you know, because I can already tell from the color of the bottle, bottle you know how to do barbecue sauce because I spent some time in North Carolina. You know, they got this thing, Rodney. I think they call it pork vinaigrette. Now, anybody put vinegar on their pork? That ain't right. Now, you can <laughs> look at this, look at this sauce. You can tell by the color of this sauce. You see that sauce? That's rich. I don't know how you make it red like that. I don't know what it is, but that's what real barbecue sauce look like, right? It ain't, you know, it don't look like hot sauce or like barbecue sauce. So I, I put my finger in it early and I tasted it and you're right on the money. So I'm going to try it this weekend. I'm going to let y'all know. Rodney is going to be back for, what is it, July 1st is when we're going to spotlight you. And Rodney, what we want to do is talk to you about how you got started, how you decided to make your own, uh, uh-oh, somebody coming with that North Carolina pork. 
But we're going we gonna to talk to you because, you know, I love entrepreneurs and I love people doing their own thing. So July 1st, come back, y'all. We're going to be speaking to Rodney and we're going to talk about how he got started, not only in food, but getting to the point where he's shipping his own barbecue sauce. It showed up today in perfect time. So thank you, brother. I will be using it this weekend. All right. Thank you. All right. KD, switching gears. Let's go ahead and jump into the discussion. Let me remove myself off a of spotlight. And, um, I wanted to give a shout out to um, a bunch of the, we've got a bunch of ministers and lay leaders and pastors that are here with us. So I wanted to say a special thank you to each of you. We really appreciate your being here. Looking forward to some things that you may have to say um, during the discussion point. And I wanted to call on somebody right quick before she escaped from our presence. Um, and that is... First Lady Dr. Nataki Osborne jokes. Yes, you knew it was going to be you. Um, but um, I've known Nataki for a few years, and um, I asked her to come because I wanted her to talk in particular about some of the things that her church is doing in the Columbus area. So Nataki, if you don't mind unmuting yourself and just giving us a minute or two about some of the work that you're doing um, to really make church matter in the community that you're working in. Thank you, and thanks for the invitation, uh, Karen, to, to be with you all on this evening. Um, so, as Karen said, um, oh, I'm looking at you can keep talking to Kyle. Okay. I was trying to spotlight you, but keep going. Sorry about that. Okay, no I had problem. a delay. There no you problem. go. I got no you there. All right. So, as Karen said, uh, my church is in the Columbus area. I actually live in Atlanta, um, but our church is in Columbus. Um, my husband is the pastor, uh, Ken Jelks. The church is Mount Tabor Baptist Church. Um, you know, real traditional Baptist church. Um, a lot of older folks in the congregation, as well as um, young adults and, and kids as well. Um, we've been there for, um, I guess, in, in, uh, in a Sunday or two, it'll be eight years that we've been uh, down in Columbus. And um, what I guess um, Karen is asking me to talk a little bit about is, you know, we do what most churches do in terms of fulfilling the mandate given in Matthew 25. You know, we uh, we have a, you know, a clothing bank. Um, we, you know, help to distribute food to people. Um, when we got there, there was a, a pretty robust um, benevolence ministry, helping people to, you know, pay bills and that sort of thing um, if they needed that help. Um, but as we've come into the church, my husband had a vision um, to do a few other things, um, some that are, you know, still kind of in uh, in line with um, some of the traditional things that churches, you know, that churches do. Um, so we have a house um, called Matthew's House, um, which um, houses uh, families who are in transition. Um, so if people, you know, are down on their luck, um, maybe, you know, have been homeless at some point or trying to get back on their feet, um, Matthew's House is that refuge for them. Um, and so in the community that we're in, we bought a few houses. So we bought a house in the community kind of right across the church, uh, right across the street from the church that is the, the clothing bank. Um, Matthew's house was a property that we bought that was behind the church. Um, we recently um, bought a, a house across the street from the church that is now um, Eden's house. Um, and so we have a garden that we've recently established there um, by some of the, some of the church members are, are running the garden. We work with people in the community um, who have come and volunteered and put their time in. Um, and so we have you know, had our first real harvest yet, but the idea is that we will help to feed that community. Um, not only that, but to, you know, help to teach people how to grow um, so that they can work in, 
the communal space in the garden. Um, and then they can also, you know, on their back porch or front porch or wherever, you know, um, use containers and that sort of thing um, and, and grow their own food. Um, we also have um, engaged in a lot of social justice related initiatives. Um, my husband started a Black, Mo Black Votes Matter campaign several years ago. So, you know, not just, you know, in this recent 2020 election, but, you know, essentially um, almost as soon as we got there, he started, you know, on that initiative, really raising the awareness about civic engagement and voting, um, having different ministries in the church take responsibility for things like making sure people are registered, helping to register new voters, um, you know, working in the community around the church, making sure that people, you know, are, are registered to vote, taking people to the polls, all those types of things as well. And we have a lot of social forums um, you know, forums that talk about um, policing, um, police brutality, um, and the role that the Black church should be playing um, in, you know, the larger society. So I'll just stop there, but those are a few of the things that we've been engaged in um, and having, you know, some, um, you know, having some uh, success and, um, you know, participation from uh, the members of the church as well as the broader community. Thank you, Nataki. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask about, and we've got Pastor Everton Harris that's highlighted also. I know he's just sort of like, how did I end up highlighted, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm looking at all of the yeah, names. And if you right. got a, no, if he's you the have right. a, yeah, he's okay, he's the great. Definitely. So let me, let me put a plug in. If, if you're one of the persons that were invited and you're um, definitely been asked to speak in this discussion, please turn on your video and I'm going to add you to the spotlight. So um, Katie, keep going. I got the hard, difficult questions that I'm going to jump into, but I'm going to let you guys get started and keep going. And if I see things slow down, I'm going to start asking some really hard questions. So uh, <laughs> okay, have fun. <laughs> All right. We're going to keep it going. All right. You know, Nataki, you, you made a point about, you know, getting congregants actually involved in these things, because often I think one of the challenges that churches have is that there's a limited number of volunteers, right? 10% of the people do 90% of the work, right? So talk to us for a second and would love to have you um, weigh in also, Pastor Everton Harris, that I'm going to also ask an additional question about how is it that you're engaging people and, and how is it that you're, um, I don't want to say convincing, but, but compelling people to want to really get involved? So, you know, I, I can't lie, you know, our, our church looks like a lot of churches, you know, sometimes it feels that way that 10% of the people are doing, you know, um, the bulk of the work. So, um, you know, let me just, let me just say that up front. But what I, I do think um, has been helpful um, is that we have adopted sort of a three deep sort of approach um, where, you know, for any given task, um, there are various ministries engaged, people at different levels. We're actually training the young people to be involved in the work as well. So you talk about the technology or media ministry, um, you know, the young people are helping to run the cameras. Um, they're learning, you know, in, in this virtual church uh, scene that we're in now, you know, we're learning how to work, you know, the, the different, you know, platforms, whether it's, you know, um, streaming through Zoom and putting that on Facebook and YouTube or StreamYard or whatever it is, you know, um, 
you know, so they're, they're learning those types of things. Um, and so really at every level, we're trying to make sure that um, there are youth, you know, maybe some young adults. And, you know, in some cases, uh, a lot of our, our seniors are taking on different roles. Um, also, just kind of looking for those, you know, right roles for various ministries or various age groups, even, you know, if you will. So in terms of our Black Votes Matter campaign, um, you know, really tapping into the young adults to take some leadership there, you know, has been really helpful. Um, you know, things like the clothing bank, you know, you have those, um, the mission workers, you know, so they feel real comfortable doing that sort of work. Um, so we've really tried to um, look at, you know, the various ways that we can involve those different age groups. Um, and then we've also tried to, you know, not abandon what brought us, but to try to broaden things um, to make sure that we are appealing, you know, to the young adults, for instance, you know, that we have something for them to do, um, that we are, you know, opening up opportunities, you know, um, you know, when we got there, I'll be honest again, you know, an older congregation, you know, we didn't have a dance ministry. So, you know, we started things like that. Um, we started a youth mad for Christ ministry. So music, art, drama, dance, um, you know, just looking for lots of various ways to get people engaged. Sure. Thank you so much, Dr. Jokes. I'm going to, you know, you've mentioned youth a few times, so I'm going to go ahead and switch over to Pastor Everton Harris, who represents that demographic that you're probably trying to get engaged in. So, Pastor Harris, tell us a little bit about your background, right? And, and it is so hard, I know, to keep reverends and ministers and pastors to a time limit, so I'm not even going to lie and try to mm. try to tell you to speak for 90 seconds, right? Govern yourselves accordingly. Okay, I'll say this. <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you, um, how you can came to be where you are doing what you're doing and, and give us a little bit of info about your church, please. Um, well, good evening, everyone. Um, thank you, Katie, for this opportunity. Um, my name is Pastor Everton Harris. Uh, my church is located in Garner, North Carolina. It's called Divine Restoration Worship Center. Um, I This October will be 20 years of preaching for me. Um, September will make 10 years of pastoring for me. I am... I'm literally what you call a church baby. Um, my mother had me on a Sunday. So I know that, you know, this is part of my calling. Um, and so we're basically down in North Carolina. We're there in Garner, North Carolina. We are um, in the process of getting ready to finalize our um, raw house, uh, which is called Restoration at Work, um, which is dealing with homeless veterans, um, you know, those that are from getting out of, out, out of prison, a uh, place for them to come to get, you know, back into the daily routine of life, um, you know, dealing with mental health. Uh, we have psychologists that we're working with to develop them, to get them to the place where they need to be so that they won't go back, um, so that there will be a transformation. Because um, I'm a firm believer that we as the church, we have to stay at that point where Jesus said best, I have come to serve and not to be served. Um, we have to stay there. We have to be willing to serve the people. Um, and when we're serving them, not looking at where they are, but looking at where they're going. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I'm a firm believer, as as Pastor said, uh, first thing he said before, um, getting everybody active. We have the young people. The young people literally runs our whole media department. Um, no one older runs it. They run it. We in the church that I pastor, um, I'm in, in, in between. I am in between. I have the older I have my age and I have the younger. Um, and me, I, I'm be honest, I'm just, I came from an old school apostolic Pentecostal holiness background. Um, 
And if those know anything about that type of background, that was the background that you were going to hell for everything that you did. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, you laugh wrong. Oh, you're on your way to hell. You know, it's it's it's, it's sad. Um, but something that I, I you know, and I agree with First Nation said there's some things I can't strive get away from, but there's some things that I have gotten away from. Because if we're going to uh, move this generation forward, if we're going to uh, draw people to ministry, we can't come with a judgmental spirit. We have the, you know, people are looking for something that's being implemented, you know, because sometimes some people say, I just want to come to church and just work. I want to put my hand to the plow. I want to put, you know, do this. What do you have? What do you have to offer? And so when people come, I ask them, I say, hey, so what are, what are some of your strengths? What are some of your weaknesses? Trying to find that balance to see where they may be able to fall in place to do some work, um, you know, just so they could be active in ministry. And I've come to find out that there's people that once they're active and they have something to do, they'll show up to make sure it's done on time. You know, it's something that they love to do. Um, and so that's just like a little brief, you know, cause you know, you said time frame, so I want to obey the time frame. <laughs> that's just like a little brief about us. Um, so we have the raw house. Um, we do have a summer camp. Um, we're in the process also get ready to open up a daycare. Um, later on down the line, we're trying to work to get a school. Um, my major objective um, within the next five to six years is to be at a place where I can employ people that comes to the ministry. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for a job, I have a job waiting for you, you know? Um, so that, that, that's something that that's my heart's desire. Um, but we're almost at the final part, uh, closing with the raw house, um, restoration at work. And so that's just a brief little bit about me. Pastor Harris. No. Thank, thank you so much. Go ahead. Daddy. Yeah. Thank, thank, thank you. Um, Pastor Harris, um, for y'all who don't know who daddy rich is, he's a prosperity pastor from 1974 car wash. You can look it up and you'll find my favorite comedian. Yeah, I got a few hard questions and, and I wanna get the hard questions because the, the theme of the event is the future of the black church in America. And some of the hard questions, I think I would love to do round robin because I know we got some vocal people on here and the most vocal people are on the screen. But I'm going to read all of the questions. And then, Katie, I would love to just get the vocal people to choose a question and to speak on it. So let me read these, you know, hard questions. How can the church expect tithes and offering, but not balance that request with the teaching of financial literacy? Is the Black church today really active in the Black community? How can the Black church better connect with young people. There was a article that said the Generation Z are, what is it, um, illiterate, uh, spiritually illiterate is the term. Question three and four, how can the Black church better connect with older people who didn't grow up in church? I knew that when I went to my first established church. I mean, everybody's singing the hymns um, from memory. And I soon later, soon learned later why that was, because some churches couldn't afford them. But I couldn't catch up and I didn't want to go to church because I didn't know the songs. Work balance, work life balance is important. But what about church life balance? Black churches seem to provide highly for some of the highly visible things, you know, poverty, addiction. But what about those things that are less visible? Self-care, self-esteem, depression. 
mental health. Next question. Is the black church no longer relevant? Should it stay black? Or should it do something else to become more relevant? And the last question, once again, open discussion, we'd love to hear it from the vocal people. These younger people are being called the post-church generation. Church is over, we don't do church no more. Millennials are skipping church and not even going back. As I said, some Gen Zs are considered spiritually illiterate. What is the role of the black church and what could it be in bringing these people back? And that's the last question. Um, but one thing I would like to say that um, Pastor uh, Harris said that I really go to write down in my notebook, churches creating jobs. You often hear the concept of business and individuals. I was just talking to KD recently about job creation. But the thought, the concept of churches creating jobs OMG, I love that. Let's hear from the people. What do you think about the questions? Feel free to jump in on that. I know Dr. Andrew Patton, I chopped it up with you. I know you're vocal. Um, Pastor Stevenson, I don't know if we heard from you. Let's hear from the people. Well, good evening, everyone. I figure I'll just jump right in here. Um, my name is Reverend um, DeLois Prince. Um, I'm the founder of DeLois Prince Ministries um, International. Um, my ministry um, is mostly catered to um, women who are hurting, um, women who are broken, um, out of shared experience because, you know, I have been that woman who was hurt. I have been that woman um, who was um, broken. Um, but I also serve as an associate minister at the Union Baptist Church in Jamestown, North Carolina. Um, thank you, um, like, uh, Reverend Womack, for inviting me tonight. I am one of the presenters at her, um, at her conference. Um, I presented last year, and I'm so excited um, to be presenting again this year. But I'll um, take a stab at, um, I think it was question six, the one where you asked about the highly visible um, challenges that the church often addresses um, while not um, really addressing those invisible challenges. Um, I think that, um, for lack of a better term, the church, um, black church, um, has kind of done a poor job of addressing um, um, those issues, especially when we um, talk about mental health, depression, um, anxiety, and, and it really shows um, when you look at um, the statistics, um, you know, not only for congregants, but also for, um, for pastors. Um, uh, there are a lot of pastors who you know, who can't take it, who can't hack it. A lot of pastors commit suicide. But I think within the past um, few years, um, I think the church is starting to um, take more notice and starting to um, actually provide more resources uh, when it comes to um, dealing with um, mental health um, issues. Um, a lot of churches, you know, they now have um, ministries that are catered. They, um, they actually, instead of the pastor doing the counseling, because generally the pastor is not a certified therapist. And so a lot of times now, instead of the pastor, you know, trying to counsel somebody, they will refer them out um, to a mental health um, specialist. And I think um, with the way that the tide is turning um, with the new generation um, that is in the church, and I just speak for myself, Generation X, um, I think we are more open 
um, to tackling um, those kinds of issues. Um, when I was growing up in the church, and, and I'm pretty sure some of you are familiar with this, well, you know, we're going to pray that depression out of you. We're going to cast that, um, that anxiety out of you. But mental illness is an illness just like diabetes. You know, it's an illness um, just like high blood pressure. And, you know, and it's okay um, that you may need medication. It's okay that it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist. Because I got Jesus and a therapist, and I think I'm doing just fine. And I'll be transparent here. You know, I've had my struggles um, with anxiety um, and depression. And I felt bad because, you know, here I am. You know, I'm a minister, you know, the gospel, but I struggle with anxiety and depression. But once I got past um, um, past that stereotype, past the traditions, um, now I use that as um, as part of my story. Um, to help others. But I really think the church is actually doing um, a better job now uh, when it comes to addressing those issues, um, but we still um, have quite a ways to go. Thank you so much. Who, who else would like to weigh in? Thank you so much. I would like um, to say, I would like to say to that point, building on to that, and then even pivoting to the the financial services question, because that's kind of my my uh, area of expertise professionally, I think one of the things that must be reformed is the way we view the church. Um, I think because the black church has become everything savior. And then at the same time, we find everything that's wrong with it. Uh, I think that the black church is probably the most critique and uh, dissected organ organization that we have in the black community. And I, I know that comes with the territory. So, um, so I'll say this much to answer the topic question. I think one of the things that must be reformed is how we understand giving in the church and the community at large, because the old way of teaching it uh, from an ignorant place of God is gonna do all the work versus what the, the scripture in Malachi really talked about. It was talking to the priest that was actually doing the robbing and not the people, because the people that are already given what they were supposed to give. So when you understand that from that perspective, we have to have leaders and pastors that's willing to tell that. Now, if you really want a radical approach to uh, employing people, uh, we got to go to Acts chapter two and Exodus 36. Why are you going there, Pastor Patton? I'm so glad you asked, because we ask, understand uh, Exodus 36 and uh, Acts chapter two, the people sold their stuff and brought it to one central pot. And then the apostles then redistributed to the people as they had need. Most of us are not really ready to do that. So from that perspective, when we start to talk from that, that, that's, that standpoint, then we talk about those that can tithe, some that cannot tithe and some just won't tithe. So where does the job creation come when 10 to 15% of the people are actually given all the money and then, and that's not because people don't want to give. Some people are really cash strapped because when you understand the assault on the black community economically, which is nothing new, then those resources just don't come pouring in the, the way that they do. So when we have a, a new discussion about ties and offers and giving, and then uh, also having a new uh, reform aspect of where the black church comes from, which precedes the, the AME tradition. When we go to the Coptic gospels in Ethiopia, then Ethiopia and the Queen of Sheba. So when you begin to educate people from that perspective, now we must tear down the problematic theology of white supremacy and even some of the things that we have rejected as a people from a standpoint of we, we can reject the church. And I'll say this in closing, I found it quite interesting when uh, the scandal about T.I. came out and he went to this small little church. I saw the video on YouTube, just perusing, because I, I studied culture quite a bit. He's talking about this church, this relationship he's had with this small little church, 
But just three months ago, he was on a podcast talking about the mega church and feeling robbed by the church. Nobody called him out. Nobody said anything. So from that perspective, the the, the perception of where the money goes, and that doesn't mean that we don't have uh, challenges in, in, in people that, that steal. Absolutely do we do. But how many times do we bring the people to the stage that's actually doing the work, that's doing the things that we're talking about, and then highlighting those different things? Because if there, if nothing is all bad, then nothing is all good. So we must really begin to speak from that perspective and then win parishioners back by, like uh, Pastor Keisha was saying, not only showing the fruit, but also being a living epistle. And as an insurance agent and as someone uh, that's planning a church called uh, called Transforming Faith Church International, my mission is is strictly to transform the thinking of people. If I can change your thinking, I can change everything else. And I think that's the part that we must start in. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. So I, I got a statement before we transition. Thank you, um, um, Dr. Patton. Um, I spent seven years teaching the Bible at a white organization. And one of the things my white peers would often ask me, they say, you know, I got some friends. They go to this black church and they got all of these titles, right? They got all of these things, you know, deacon, deaconess, reverend. You know, why do y'all do that? You know what I mean? The Bible say, you know, y'all doing too much. And for some people, I begin to realize they really don't understand how the black church became somewhat of a community center. Some people would be like, why are we expecting the church to do financial literacy? That don't make no sense. Certain people have the privilege. They go to church, say they pray and they go home. But I think, you know, for the audience and some people who may not know, um, can the audience, I mean, these vocal speakers, please speak to the history of how church became a community center plus a place of worship for black people. Um, I'd like to jump in there if I can. Uh, <laughs> I pastor New St. Paul AME Church here in Tampa. And the, the, the simple history of the black church in America started with the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, if you can imagine that Monday through Friday, um, our great great grandfathers and great great grandmothers were only allowed to do what they let us do. Uh, we were able to uh, take care of their babies. We were able to um, take out their trash. We were able to put horseshoes on horses. But then on Sunday morning, you became the pro tem of the steward board. Um, you couldn't read. You couldn't write. You had no formal education. But as the pro tem of the steward board or as a leader in your church, you became the mayor of the Black community. Um, and because of that, uh, dignity has been caused in a lot of our families by just the title that they held during church. So when you left church and you went back to your job, you struggled all week long to get back to that one moment where God allowed you to be liberated, to that one moment where everything was supposed to be equal and what you did in your life had dignity now. And now imagine a pastor comes along and takes your name, takes that title away from your name. You no longer have that dignity. Now you're exposed to the fact that you can't read. Now you're exposed to the fact that you can't write. And now you're wondering how much value you actually add to society because that title has been taken from your name. Uh, so in the Black church, uh, we found ourselves a title hoarding church 
We found ourselves finding our dignity and our identity in the titles that we hold. We try even our best to, to, to issue nepotism and pass that same title down to our grandchildren and our children's children so that our family name will be known by being a steward or a trustee or a deacon or a mother, saints, and friend. And uh, that's sort of how the Black church sort of uh, identified and personified what importance was. So when it comes to the, 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 the situation of community center, the black church used to be the voice of the community. Uh, the black church pastor used to be the one that was respected enough in the community to care for the people, to shepherd the people. It used to be the case that when you drove by a black church, you turned your music down. Um, they would put that bottle back in that bag. Uh, they would hold that, that cigarette inside their hand because the amount of respect that we have for those places. Do you realize that in a black church, uh, sometimes that was the biggest building we, we even had in the whole community, that the street could be a dirt road, but at least we had our church. You know, our houses weren't even taken care of, but at least we had our church. So our black churches were a place of dignity for our community. And that is where we found education for us. That is where we found motivation for us. That is where we found financial freedom for us. But as we were then allowed to live behind gates in other spaces that didn't want us as we were allowed to go to colleges that our forefathers and foremothers weren't even allowed to come to, uh, as we were allowed access in other spaces that really didn't want us to have access, what used to be ours wasn't good enough anymore. So now living in the hood is a problem because I got to live out there behind the gated community. Uh, going to a HBCU isn't good enough for us because our children can go to state supported schools because somehow or another we feel like what they have is better for us than what we built ourselves. And so the black church itself falls apart because no one even lives in the community where the black church is. No one goes to school there. No one shops there. It's almost like, you know, you have to move the black church out of where it was to where the black people are. And really nowadays, when you look into metro metropolitan United, United States of America, you can't even find or identify the black community unless you talk about the low poverty, uh, the low poverty and low income areas. I mean, gentrification happened inside the church just as much as it happened inside our black communities. So now you have a problem in our community altogether. Um, can I tag something um, on there? Um, I think the whole community aspect of the church um, began um, in the clearing um, after the, the work was done um, in the fields where they would go out and um, they would gather together and they would look up um, at the um, at the stars and um, and sing those um, those Negro spirituals and those Negro hymns, and then they would go into the river and and baptize um, one who um, decided to um, to give their life to God. But I think with the um, with the whole titles things, um, just imagine. Um, you know, the black man, the black slave, um, there was a process called buck breaking um, where they used it to break the spirit um, of the black man, um, where they ema basically emasculated him in, in front of his, um, his wife, in front of his kids, and in front of all the slaves um, to make him an example. Um, imagine being called nothing but boy, um, all your life or the, or the N or the N word. And so I can imagine, you know, going into, um, 
into the church, um, how um, confidence, um, confidence building or how um, affirming it was to um, to their self-esteem, um, to their manhood, um, to be referred to as deacon so-and-so or reverend so-and-so um, because um, slavery had a really um, traumatic um, impact um, on the male psyche. And even now, um, if we fast forward into um, today's times, um, I mean, I still think that we are suffering from the traumatic um, effects um, of slavery because being um, a black man um, in America is um, is a, almost a, a life-threatening situation. And, and we know that the black woman is the most disrespected woman in the world. Um, but I just wanted to add those thoughts. Well, th thank you for that. And I just want to make sure I say amen and thank you, Pastor Stevenson, because you took us there. You really took us there. And me being a fan of history and for people who aren't, this is why I'm a fan of history. Often people complain. They say, I don't know why people do this. I don't know why this is. This is so inefficient. This is so not right. And often what people don't realize is everything has a reason and a purpose and an origin. You see, history tells a story. So next thing you know, it, it, it's tradition. I think I was talking to somebody recently about, you know, when it, it comes time for um, uh, 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 when, when first Sunday, when they take the white sheets and they put it over the grape juice. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, that tradition all of a sudden has meaning. And all of a sudden we start doing that thing and we do it over and over. But what happens in this future church is we have to ask ourselves. Do we still do that? Or do we do something different? I want to keep us on topic, keep us on the agenda, but I know we got some vocal people here. Kevin McKenzie, I see you you're thinking, brother. I see Jamal. Let's go to some of the people in the audience. I see the chat is live for, for anyone who's here for the first time. The people who are, let's say, a little less, more camera shy, they, they blow up the chat and they always call me after an event and talk to me for 40 to 30 to 45 minutes, right? So I'm putting you on the spot now. Y'all very vocal people who are going to call me after the show. There's your opportunity. We want to hear from you. I'm, I'm going to call your name. Thena, I see Thena on there. I see Ren. I see my brother Deacon Manhurst on there. Who else we get? I see Larry Slivers on there. Um, talk to us, people. What else you want to know? We want to get those hard questions out. And we want to get the hard question out because it's nobody's responsibility. It's nobody's fault. But all of us are here to hear and hear that word. Because I also want to hear some good examples of how people have found what I call recipes of doing things a little different or preparing for this future church. Calvin, this is, this is Jamal. I'm speaking up. Hey, look, the, um, the history of the Black Church like I mentioned earlier, had the uh, against the law to have gatherings without a white person being a monitor. And then part of that was because they didn't want us to learn anything, literally. They didn't want us to learn um, finances. They didn't want us to learn um, uh, the, the strength in numbers and sticking together. They didn't want us to learn any of that. So um, my focus, again, guys, again, this is Jamal Thompson. I am a founder of the nonprofit called the Pilot Foundation. What I do with the Pilot Foundation is uh, look for education opportunities for the historically underserved, and that will be us. So just so the people can actually do um, break the chain of poverty, um, the generational curse, and so forth. So part of my focus is to, to try and give people the opportunity to learn financial literacy, learn 
um, um, ways to break the poverty cycle. So give them some skills to go into the workforce. If they don't go to college, you can get, go into coding. You can go into uh, get a CDL. You can go into driving trucks. Uh, you can learn business and you can start a business doing trades and make a whole, whole lot of money. But the biggest thing that uh, I try and teach these young people is that they can do anything. And uh, the, the black church being monitored by a white person um, had, had, had Mr. No, excuse me, Mr. Charlie on his shoulder. And Mr. Charlie wouldn't let you, you know, wouldn't let you grow. Didn't wouldn't let you learn. Wouldn't let you build a business. Wouldn't let you try and gather and, 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 and strengthen the community into making a stand and uh, maybe even a revolt. So one of the things that uh, I, I, I would love to see from the black church is what I learned at a, at a, uh, I don't even know if you call it a mega church. It's about seven, 8,000 members in Durham. It's called this Union Baptist in Durham. Um, there's, there's maybe 130 ministries. Um, and I did one of the ministries. I was a coach. So I did a um, uh, uh, health and wellness ministry and did workouts, uh, nutrition classes, and so forth, just, just to give the people the opportunity uh, at the church that couldn't afford a nutritionist, couldn't afford to go to a gym, to be able to come to uh, church. And we actually had a gym there too, which is a little different, but um, come there and have a uh, uh, well-qualified professional go through exercise classes with them. Uh, we had a uh, parish nurse and we did um, uh, checkups, wellness checkups with the body fat content and blood pressure and so forth. And we monitored, monitored that over time. So that model and that church had a little bit of everything. It had uh, uh, lawyers come do workshops, on uh, uh, having a will, uh, passing down generational wealth, um, um, uh, financial planning, uh, defending those who couldn't afford an attorney, uh, all those types of things. And there there was a number of other ministries, but uh, the pastor at the time was a, a true advocate of, if you had a passion, we can create a ministry for you to use that passion in the church. And if, 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 the leadership doesn't allow that or if leadership doesn't, doesn't promote that, you know, that's a problem, but you know, every leader has a different style. Every leader has a different mission. Every church has a different mission. And if you are a member of a church, a long time member of a church or a new member of a church and you have a passion, I'm just going to advocate for you to pursue that passion within the church. And, you know, everybody's got to make some money. Everybody has got to make a living. But if you have a true passion and you have a profession and you're really, really good at something, share that through the church as a ministry so people can learn and grow without having to uh, uh, hire you as a as a professional. Because most of the time, you know, if, if you're in a church that has a, a wide variety of uh, uh, wealth in the, in, in the church and you have poor people, you have uh, well-to-do people out of the middle class, you know, everybody can't afford your services. And the ones that can usually are already doing the service somewhere else. And you could actually, you know, possibly get some, get some business from people that can't afford you, but the ones that can't afford you are the ones that need it. The ones that can't afford a financial planner are the ones that need the education. The ones that can't afford an attorney are the ones that need legal advice. The ones that can't afford the, uh, the trainer are the ones that need nutrition information that needs, that needs the, 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 the workout, uh, the stretching, the, 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 time with a professional that's who needs it so if 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 you take on the attitude of a servant you understand that 
And that's what I would implore everybody in this, in this, in this, in this call to understand that you are the church. No matter how you criticize anybody else, what you do is what the church is. And I'm, you know, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you, Jamal, for that. And, you know, I think I'm just going to say this because I think it's the consensus. It seems like everyone who's spoken would agree that we agree that one thing we love about the black church is that it's not just a place of worship. It is also a place of community for us. I'm seeming like I don't I don't see anybody who wanted to change that. Am I wrong? Does anybody see a problem with that? And Jamal, thank you for your thoughts. I, I mean, amen to what you said. And you you definitely spoke on these, and I just put in there number five, the future church shares the talents of its members with its congregation. And I love that. But it seems like, you know, pretty much there's consensus here. It should continue to be that community center and not just a place of worship. Any thoughts on that? Um, if I could just come in, um, several things, there's lots have been said. Um, um, as uh, Pastor Stevens had spoke earlier in reference to the church being, the black church being the community, I feel that some black churches are losing its touch. We now have to go through 15 people just to talk to the pastor. It was a time where after the pastor gave that benediction, he would stand at the door and greet each and every person that came. Um, and I, I believe that we, some, some, I'm not saying all, but some in, 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 in our diagram, our, our, our culture now, or this age group now is that a lot of them just, once they preach, they go to the office. So they're no longer touchable. So if you're not touchable now, are you really reaching me? You know, and that can really turn people off. Um, we've had the neighborhood drug dealer come to our ministry. And when he has come to the ministry, He's come to the ministry and he said, you know, Rev, man, good word today. Here you go, Rev, bless you. He get in trouble, he calls me. Um, I'm right there for him, just to be that support for him, to let him know, guess what? I, I may not agree on what you're doing. I may not, but I'm going to be here for you to help bring that transformation to your life. And one thing about it, I believe that the church is really losing that touch where we we're not all, but some, where we have become so sophisticated, so bougie, so to, we got more security guards, you know, that we don't even want to be able to touch with the people be able to touch us. Even when Jesus, we look at Jesus, Jesus walked and he allowed the people to touch him. He allowed the people to touch him, you know, and we got to get to a point where we allow the people to touch us, you know. Um, something else that they talked about, and I, I'm very big on it, I'm a very advocate on it, is when you look at the part um, in reference to life insurance, I see that. Yeah. I'm very big on that. I don't believe in, and I tell folk like this, if you can um, have Gucci, Louis Vuitton, if you can have this and have that, you can pay $20 a month on your life insurance. I am a firm believer in that. And I think we have gotten away from that teaching, not all, but I teach that, I preach it. I said, listen, we got to make sure you have life insurance because whether you believe it or not, we all are going to leave up out here sometime, someday. We don't know the day nor the hour. We want to make sure that, guess what? It's not a burden left on the family. It's not a burden then left on the church. And then the another thing I just want to cover and then I'm going to get out of the way is when um, we start talking about the mental health. I'm a firm believer when it comes to mental health um, that it is okay to say that I'm not okay. 
I think we have come to a point in the church where we have mastic, mastic behind a dance, behind a shout. No, sometimes it's okay to say that I am not okay and I need to step away. Something that I do um, every three months, I go away. Come back, refresh, regain my mind. Because you got to think about it. When you're dealing with a lot of people, and I, as the Lord said, I, I agree with Reverend Dulles, I agree with her. Listen, there are some things, there are some things that I can't handle. And I have no problem with saying, listen, you need to go seek somebody that that's 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 licensed, that's certified, that can help you in this area. And I think sometimes some pastors try to try to take on more than what they can really do. They try to do stuff. No, 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 no. That's not my field. I have somebody I can send you to because this is beyond my field. Therapy is okay. It is okay to sit there and talk to somebody, let somebody know. But we have to come to a point where we can be honest with ourselves and say, I am not okay. And I think something that we have done so long is that we have masked that, hey, oh, I got it all together. No, you don't have it all together. Guess what? I tell the church, even as a pastor, sometimes I'm not going to always have it all together. So I need to go to a place where I can be refreshed, recharge, regather my thoughts, get myself back together um, so that I can, when I'm giving you something that's pure, it won't come out toxic or frustrated because I'm in a frustrated place. Um, and so oh. those are some of the things that I, uh, that I seen in the thing that I just wanted to comment on. And, and I agree. I, I'm a firm believer, um, as uh, Brother uh, Jamal, Jamal said, Anytime somebody from my church says, hey, pastor, I have this business idea, I'm a firm believer. Let's push it. If this is what you want to do, let's push it. Let's work this thing out together. Let's be a support of one another. Uh, because one thing about it, I realized that in this pandemic, we have opened a lot of businesses. Everybody has found themselves able to do something. But we have to be willing to push our brothers and our sisters and not get jealous because they're being successful. But push them. Pushed them. Awesome. So just my few things. Awesome, Pastor Harris. You know, we had 30 minutes to the end, 29 minutes to the end. So thank everybody for hanging tight. We're going to keep going. So feel free to hang out as long as you want. We're going to be here for the next 29 minutes. And I got the key topic I want to really talk about. And I'm going to put the topic out there, but I want anybody who hasn't spoken and want to speak, we, this is your opportunity to speak up, to ask this panel, these group of people, some of the hard questions. Um, I'm thinking, um, Thena, I see Byron. I know my brother's back there. I see you, Brian. I see you, frat brother. And um, if you got any questions you want to ask, let's put it out there because this session is for y'all. You know, I, I've opened the door with some of the hard questions. And my final question is the church's role in politics. Because I'm just going to give my confession. My confession is after many, many years of myself in a black community pouring money into the black church, not a single black church. But 2016 happened and I don't know. I'm in a fantasy world. I'm expecting. This invisible protection of the black church to come and save us from 2016. It didn't happen. Nothing happened. It was quiet as a church mouse. Lakeisha, the founder, knows that if you're a church, you're a nonprofit. If you're a nonprofit, you can't advocate for a certain person politically. But you can't organize people to vote. It is scary. But what we've learned is that there is a need, and maybe our nonprofits, which are churches, cannot help us politically. 
but there's a lot going on. So that's my final question that we're going to get there. But before we go there, because I want to hear some of the intelligent people speak, some of these vocal people speak. Um, how about the audience? Let's hear from you. Hey, how you doing? This is Byron. Can you guys hear me? Hey, Byron. Call in from where you been with, Brian? L.A., California? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in L.A. Um, All right. Thank you for the California in, love. Yeah, I'm in, and I'm in the car, so pardon me if there's some background noise. But um, I just want to touch on, um, you know, my thoughts on the last comment you made. And, um, you know, I've been back in L.A. since 2014. And uh, the church I've been going to, Center of Hope in Inglewood, has been was pretty active in this last election as far as getting people registered to vote. However, in 2016, I think the efforts were a little bit lackluster. And I think across the board in the black church, there might've been kind of a, a lull of complacency because I don't know if we really realized the threat that was ahead of us back then. I don't think we took that threat seriously. And I think in hindsight, there would have been a lot more momentum during that time period. But I mean, let's be honest, you know, nobody really thought what was going to happen or what, what happened uh, was going to happen until that, that night, November, whatever it was, 2016, we were like, all had that oh, oh shit moment, basically. We realized, hey, this is happening. And by then it was too late. So, um, hopefully, we lost you, Brian. We heard you say, um, Byron, we heard you say, hopefully, and then we lost you. Okay, so he's probably drawing, he's probably hit a, a hot spot. So, we, we opened the hot topic the church and politics. Oh, go ahead, Byron, are you back? Yeah, somebody was calling me. Um, churches in general, as a nonprofit, uh, can't get out there and advocate for a, a political party or, or a particular person running, obviously, but there's different people within the church and, and different committees that can, you know, create messaging um, to, you know, help push people in the, in the right direction that's going to align with what we need as a community politically. So, um, you know, I think 2016 was a lesson and hopefully we won't have that repeat again. Thanks, Byron. Thanks. Thanks for sharing the words and um, you're echoing that sent that statement. Um, who else we got? Who else want to jump in there before we go to the most vocal people here? Because we know the pastor's going to preach. And it's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, pastors, that we, we <laughs> I'm sorry that we didn't put it, put this chain. Maybe that's why I wore the chain tonight. So I'm going to have to put some shackles on tonight. I can't talk like I want to. But um, and, and we see we got who else we got? We got Chuck Williams on there. And I didn't recognize your brother, but since you had the camera on, I put you on the spotlight. But anyone else in the audience you want to speak? This is your opportunity um, before. Um, you know, Pastor Stevenson, um, Nataki, um, Pastor Harris, um, Reverend Lakeisha Womack, before they speak on it, what else you guys want to, what other questions you guys have? Yeah, I, Sally, I would like to say, I think Dr. King said it best in his book um, when he talked about why we can't wait. And he said, in the midst of a mighty struggle, I have seen white clergymen stand on the sidelines and say, those are social issues with which the gospel has no concern. And then uh, read Bishop Desmond Tutu in his 
book, The Rainbow People of God. And he said Jesus was heir of the prophetic tradition. And the prophetic tradition it dealt with the kings. They were the leaders. You know, the prophets prophesied to the king what thus said the Lord. So they were always involved in social political issues. <laughs> you know, so didn't they exist in a vacuum? And so I think that, <clears throat> like you said, there are other ways around it. You know, you can have other people in the church to, you know, promote voting and so forth. But I think that the church is involved in everything that deals wherever human beings live. The church is a part of that. Thank you. Thank you, Brenda Stanley. And, you know, I want to give a shout out to my sisters um, of Delta Sigma Theta. Because one thing I've discovered is that the most impressed that I've ever been with a nonprofit organization getting people out to vote, I've never seen anything like that. I was looking at the fraternities and sororities because I think it's also good to not just, you know, criticize. It's not by criticizing, it's about having a hard conversation. That's where we're coming from. It's the spirit, it's the intent of the night. So please nobody walk away with the negativity. It's the spirit and the intent of bringing some of these hard topics to the surface. But Delta Sigma Theta, OMG, they're one of the largest sororities, fraternities out there. And they mobilized them women to vote. They kept it neutral. They said, vote vote, vote. And I was thoroughly impressed with that. So that's a good example. But anyone else got any questions? But, but let's go ahead and hear from um, who's been quiet. Pastor yeah, Stevens, I'm in there. Uh-oh, somebody right. just spoke. Uh -oh, Chuck I, I, I saw that I was pinned. So I figured I, that must be a signal that I need to say something. But I want to thank you. You know, I just came out of my, my uh, uh, denomination right now was doing uh, our annual business conference. And I just heard a message from my bishop that was talking about social justice. And we have to keep in mind that the one who's in whose name we follow, he was a social justice advocate. He was a community organizer. So he wasn't just about, you know, coming in on Sunday to give praises to God. You know, he reached the people and we have to keep in mind is that if we're going to follow in his footsteps, that we have to do the same thing. Um, you know, I want to thank uh, Pastor Harris. I love what you were saying about some of the churches seem to have lost their touch. And if we go to the book of Revelations and this when they're speaking about the church in Ephesus and they talk about how you lost, you know, that first love. Um, and, you know, we have to take a look at our churches and we have to assess, you know, have we lost that love? You know, and if we're not reaching out in the community, one of the expressions that I have heard that I have held on to is that if your church shut their doors tomorrow, would your community notice? And if that is the case, then it means that you've got some thinking and some working to do uh, in order to get things back on track again. So as far as the politics are concerned, no, we can't endorse people, but what we can do as a church, we can speak out against separating children at the borders. We can speak out against state violence against black and brown people. You know, we can speak out against all of those things. Now, when it comes down to the election, we can step away from that uh, label of the church, and we could be Chuck Williams. We could be 
uh, Lakeisha founder. We could be our individual selves and we can talk to people about who represents the values that we promote. Um, in my denomination, we did have some, we, uh, something we called Project 100, where we tried to get 100% of our church members to go out to vote. But it was also important that we did church, that we did uh, political education. Uh, and right now, if we start to look at things, it's at the local levels where it's all going to make a difference. You know, uh, district attorneys that want to talk about being tough on crime when they're really tough on criminals. Um, you know, we need to look at that. And that's at the local level. You got all of these states, these red states, so-called red states across the country where they are putting through voter oppression laws and trying to call it integrity in voting. We have to go back and look at, be educated and see what they're doing at the local levels. And we as a church can speak out against it, but we as individuals who are members of that church can talk about who we need to endorse to make sure that our values are being carried out. And I think I probably spoke too long, so that's all I'm gonna say. Thank you, thank you, brother Chuck Williams. I knew you were quiet, but I, I can tell that brain was um, definitely working. We get in the chat, is very active. As we get close to the end of our time, Please, pastors, I'm going to give everyone here that's been vocal a chance to let people know where they can find you. What I'm seeing in the chat, I love people are sharing resources, resources for how to do things different, resources. Please type in the chat your URLs, your websites, your hashtags. I'm going to save this information. I'll share it accordingly. But we want to make sure that people know that if you have an online ministry, if you have a church that streams, that they can catch you on Sunday, they can catch you live. So let's go ahead and go back to our most vocal people. So pastors, I'm going to give you a chance to talk. You know, this is our last 15 minutes. So if there's anything you missed, uh, I know uh, Nataki, she, she, she's been quiet for a little bit, but um, let's see, um, Stevenson, you know, uh, Harris, uh, Lakeisha, Reverend Womack, um, Dolores, what else you guys got to say? Um, I just want to offer um, this resource. I did put it in the chat because you you asked a question um, you wanted to know about uh, yes, churches or ministries that were doing it right or trying to do it right. And so um, it's kind of hard to see. But this is the book that I um, that I'm recommending, Creative Ministry Moves by Bishop Sir Walter Mack. He's done this is my bishop and he's done some interesting things with his ministry. Um, we talk about health and wellness. Um, they have a sweatsuit Sunday where everybody wears their sweatsuits um, to church and they have an instructor um, who does they do exercises um, throughout the service. He has a drug dealers conference um, that he's had for almost the past 10 years where um, they actually have drug dealers come to this conference. They go through a curriculum and they graduate on Sunday. Um, there's a job fair um, for them to find job opportunities. Um, they have an ice cream truck. Um, they got an ice cream truck to go out into the communities um, to reach the children. Um, they started a football league for the young men. It's called the Character Football League. And some of those young men have gone on to um, to different colleges. Um, and I think one of two have gone on to a professional ball. Um, they have a Discovery Sunday um, where, say, for instance, you normally, I don't know, sing in the choir on Discovery Sunday you can usher to, to discover your um, discover your other gifts. Um, they have a tap dance ministry. There are just so many things um, 
creative ways that he's doing ministry um, to engage um, everyone um, in the congregation, senior dance ministry. Um, the head of their social ministry me media is their oldest member who was 97 years old. She's over their Facebook ministry. And so, um, um, again, I just recommend, highly recommend that resource. If you go to his page, he comes out to do um, different workshops. Um, if your church is in need of um, different ideas on how to do ministry in more creative and inspiring ways. And I'm done talking because I know I talked a lot. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you, Dolores. Um, I see the chat is going good. I, I heard someone say the best resource is the rethinking uh, um, church, um, re, what we'll say, what rethinking church virtual summit. So I put the URL in that. I love that plug. So, um, I see Jamal put in his pilot foundation. Um, who else would like to kind of give us some words on exit? Well, I wanted to, this is Kevin McKenzie. How you doing? Hey, Kevin. I want to just, uh, I think we, we didn't talk about how the church connect with the community, uh, with, with, with our youth and, mm -hmm. uh, I know one of the things, uh, I'm a minister. I've been a minister for over 15 years, uh, Temple Church, uh, with my pastor, uh, Pastor Daryl A. Drumright in Nashville, Tennessee. And so uh, I work in the school system. And so what I do, my profession and my expertise is aligning churches uh, with the school improvement plan for schools. So I think it's very important for churches to get more involved and be more vigilant in the school system. So. That's one of the biggest things, I think, in order for us to get our youth back so that they can see uh, church members that are in the church. Because if you have people that go to your church and you're actually supporting them in the school, that that, that bridges that family dynamic so that you can br bring them back into the church. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. And, and that's what I do in Nashville as far as aligning churches and nonprofit organizations and partnerships and just collaborations. Uh, through the school system and the community. So I just wanted to just throw that out there and just uh, if anybody wanted any information of how or needed help trying to do that or if they're doing it in their school system, it's great. But I just think that it's very important. Um, if I could chime in, <clears throat> I wanted to say that the major reason why I think we can wrap all of this up is that, I mean, I'm not critical of the church, but I am quite uh, true to myself. And the reason we're having this problem is because the church ain't doing its job. Uh, there's no way in the world we can have a commission that says go. And every week we putting out flyers to tell people to come in here, come in here, come in here. And they come in and they leave back out the same way they came in. Uh, what I believe that the church should be doing is literally the great commission of the go. Uh, I believe that during this pandemic, God possibly showed us that as you close those doors of your church, you should be reimagining what God can use you for in the community. And if even now you haven't found a way to connect with your community, even though you couldn't be in your building, you haven't found a way to connect with youth, you haven't found a way to do all those other things, then possibly you need to reimagine what God wants you to do uh, in terms of ministry, in terms of your life. I mean, I I'm a pastor. I can only be a pastor if there's people. I can only be a pastor if there's a community. So if there's a community and the church is not attached to it, then I don't have a church. 
Uh, that's why I have problems paying bills. That's how I have problems having ministry going because I've not found myself digging into the resources that are around me because we steady thinking that everything that God needs is in the building and Jesus challenges us to get outside. So I think if we step back to evangelism strategically and, uh, and, and in, intentionally, we have a different result in our community as well. Thank you, Pastor Stevens. I, I, one of my least favorite things is evangelism and knocking on doors. And every time I think of evangelism, I think about knocking on doors. But I had a pastor, he literally had us outside in front of the church waving that flag. I don't know what kind of flag we were waving, but we were trying to get people to come off the street and come into church. And people would ask me, did it work? Ironically, it worked. People driving down MOK, whatever the road was, and you flagged it. We say, hey, we're a church. We open because we was in an old school building. People literally came off the road and came into church. But it always been my fear. It always been the, any job in the church I would not want to do would be evangelism. But that is the Great Commission. And what I began to think for myself is what does evangelism look like in the future church? What does it look like? I know Doc, uh, Reverend Lakeisha Womack talks about, you know, digital strategies and different things. And I don't know what it looks like because it's not my strength and it actually scares me, honestly. But I definitely agree with you. It's definitely needed because what does evangelism look like in the church of tomorrow? So um, go ahead and somebody speak on that. But I, I have a, a last question. I keep saying last, but, you know, I won't be here long. So I, I get it from y'all. But, but keep going. I think, uh, Brother Harris, you got something to say. <laughs> Yes, I definitely, yes, sir. I definitely agree with uh, Reverend Stevenson. Um, it's definitely that evangelism. You, ha you have to be willing to get outside. You have to be willing to get dirty. There's no way you could try to get sheep, but you don't smell like sheep. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm a firm believer in that, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, we actually shut our church where we couldn't go in the building. So we had church outside. And literally while having church outside, we had a car apartment complex that I didn't even know was behind the church because it's like woods there. And people were literally listening and coming around and sitting in the parking lot, listening to service. We've had the police come. Every other church got citations. We didn't get a citation. And so I, I take that it was, it was effective because people were, you know, grasping the word. People were, you know, getting word. But then also the thing is this. If you're really going to evangelize, you have to be willing to tell your testimony. You have to be willing to be honest with people to say, guess what? I wasn't always where I am right now. I think we're losing our testimony and we don't want to be transparent anymore to say, guess what? I used to be this, but God brought me out of what I used to be. Look at me right now. And that's what we're losing. We're losing the transparency. And so we don't want to test testify and we want to make, make a fairy tale like, oh, I, 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 oh, I've walked with God. I, I walk with God day in and day out. No, 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 no. There's some days, there's some days where I'm upset. There's some days where you may not get past Everton. You may just get Everton, you know? And so we have to come to a point of transparency. And I think that's something that if we want to be effective in evangelism, we have to get to a point of transparency. Um, and one of the things that I've done on this is that when you look at the woman, when they, they looked at and they was ready to kill her, it was ready to stone her. Jesus got back down in the dirt, got down to where, and he said to her, where are all your accusers? But what he did, he got down to where she was, watch this, just to pull him up to where he is. And sometimes we have a lot of people that are scared to get down because they don't want to get dirty. Evangelism is a dirty job, but guess what? It's going to work because it's not always about knocking on somebody's door. 
you can have a straightforward conversation with somebody and you can win them to Christ. And you have to understand the strategies. You don't go out and just start, well, you need to get saved. No, no, you have to work and build it up. And once you build it up, then you can do what you have to do to win souls. But I really believe we have to we have to teach them the importance of evangelism and how to evangelize. And if we can teach them those two those things, we will be very effective in the future church with evangelism. Thank you, thank you, brother. And I'll, I'll keep going. We got a few minutes. Um, this is the last thing I want to say for the wrap up, and this is an open forum for anyone. We often do a part one, a part three, because we discover that these conversations are so broad. You know, we start out broad, but one thing we always do, we get better. We do it better. So if anything you didn't get tonight that you expected to get, it's okay. As they say, Rome wasn't built in the day. We will get there, right? So be vocal, put it in the chat, speak up. But um, as you're saying your exits, also let us know, you know, what you would like to see in, you know, in a future event, because we want to hear from you. You guys know where to find me. I've emailed most of y'all. Um, so feel free to reach out to me at any point in time and let me know your thoughts. Um, I see some people that we definitely want to bring back. Um, this is a trial run, by the way. I always tell Katie, the people that we're going to kind of spotlight and come back for a one-on-one -on -one interview are the people that we invited tonight to be vocal. So thank you for being here. But think about, you know, what would you like to see? Think about how we can be better. And, you know, for anyone else, once again, share your resources, put them in the chat. Um, we got six minutes before we're going to wrap up. I'm going to play a couple songs, but let us hear from you. I did want to make a point. Somebody um, had brought up in the chat the fact that um, a lot of times there are older leaders who have been in a position for a long time and they don't want to step down and let the younger leaders come in. And I saw that. And just a few comments before that, I heard from our millennial correspondent, we'll call her, who said that she wanted the opportunity to actually do things in the church, to be engaged in everything. And so I, I saw what she wrote and then I saw what somebody else wrote from, an, from a different generation. And it's it's absolutely true. We have young people that, that need to be mentored into these leadership positions. So what happens when Sister Sonia has been in that leader position, leadership position for 25 years and we got Sydney Randolph over here that's like, hey, I got gift skills and talents that God gave me too. Yeah, solve that problem. I want. I want to see all of y'all solve that problem right here and now. <laughs> what what they call that? Secession planning. What, is that what they call it? Let's yeah, for the, well, I mean, you got pastors that that don't want to give up their pulpits. They'll stay in the pulpit until they die or until it kills them. <laughs> but yes, it's called succession planning. And I think the best example we have of that is uh, Fellowship Chicago. Tell, tell us about Fellowship Chicago. Um the way that they plan for the succession, um, Clay Evans, um, then um, Charles Jenkins, and now um, Pastor Reginald Sharp. Um, he's now the um, the current pastor. Um, sometimes, you know, pastors have to know, um, I guess like when they say an athlete, when in, in athletics, you need to learn, learn when it's time to hang it up. And too many times, um, black pastors, they die and don't have anyone um, coming up behind them that they have trained and the church falls apart because there was no succession plan. But that is that is the pastor. I'm talking about even below the pastor. I'm talking about engaging young people so that they are at your church, so they are contributing in a meaningful way, right? Right. I understand that. And I think it starts with the leader. 
um, the leader has to um, has to show that totally agree. You know, I have, you know, I have a succession plan. Um, you know, I have some young people, you know, this is what, you know, this is the future, uh, the, the right now of the church. And it has to be a leadership call because if it's not a leadership call, then the people are not going to follow. But that's yeah, I, I agree with you. Go ahead, Pastor Stevenson. Go that's ahead. Matter, Thank you, Dolores. That's a matter not only of succession, but of mentoring. Because if you think yes. about how you start ministry is how ministry continues. So if you started your ministry by splitting the church, you always looking over your shoulder, waiting for somebody to split your church. And so it's a situation where not, not many pastors can mentor younger people. Not many leaders can mentor younger people because you can't do something that you ain't never been through. So it's, it's, right. it's difficult for you to take in someone through an experience that you've never experienced yourself. And too often because of the titles and because of the positions of leadership, people are insecure about who they are too much. And they can't pull somebody up and teach them because they're afraid they're going to be replaced. You know, uh, this is Helen Robinson. I actually was the one that put that information in there about the older people, because I am in a denomination where the older people, you know, they complain that the older people won't step up, but the reason the older people won't, I mean, the younger people won't step up is because the older people won't get out the way. You see some of these older people, 10 of them on different committees, and instead of being on 10 committees, how about you just be on one committee and we mentor the older ones? Because at the end of the day, the younger people are going to have to take over the church once the older people die off. If we don't start training them right now, giving them um, a ladder up, and not only that, but everything is changing so fast. If this pandemic has taught us nothing, technology is changing by leaps and bounds. And you have a lot of these older people that do not want to be technology savvy. They want to keep on with the same old conference call numbers. Forget about Zoom and everything. <laughs> we, we need to move it up. We need to get it going. And we need to pull our young folks up and not be so insecure and say, we've been doing this for the last 25 years. And, you know, if you do the same thing, you're going to get the same result. That's insanity. But that's all I have to say. Thank you. Well, well thank can you for, I, for, for sharing that. Can I, um, can I go add ahead. something to that? I can jump on that real quick. Yeah, can, I, uh, can, I, can I go before you? Can I go before you? Real go ahead. Quick? I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Who, who is that talking? Uh, hold, hold tight, um, Pastor Harrison. I can't yes, see who's talking, but please keep talking. This is Leroy McKenzie Jr. Um, oh, okay, Leroy, go ahead. And I've been listening. And just to, to kind of piggyback off of what Helen was saying in regards to the, the older generation that is that has already learned and has the experience, it's not, a, it's not just a thing of getting out of the way. It's a thing of taking those tools and experiences that you've had and pouring them into that younger generation so that they have an understanding of what it, of what leadership is. And all of this that we're talking right. about tonight is leadership, is grooming this, the next generation for yes. how to be leaders. That's where the gap is. And we have to, uh, for, for those that, that the, uh, what was it, Pastor Stevenson, you said that they have, they don't know, some of them don't understand. They don't understand the true meaning of what leadership is, but that's where it comes, where you use the younger generation to say, look, these are the things that I've learned. You have experiences. All of us have experiences that are older. We have those experiences that we can teach to the younger generation so that they do understand what things that need to be done. And you use the fact that, hey, there may be some older that don't have, um, aren't tech savvy. Use the younger generation. They, they enjoy doing that. So take that energy that they have and use that to be able to get them to be able to do those things. And and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, uh, Pastor Harris. But. Yeah, Pastor Harris, go ahead and close us out. Thank you, um, Leroy McKenzie Jr. Pastor Harris, close us out. Uh, 
and, and we, we don't need somebody to pray for us. Who, who can pray for us uh, and, and close us out? I, I wish my brother Bryce is on. Is Bryce on here? I, I heard him pray. I don't know about other people. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. Did I say that loud? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so I, um, Jamal, I heard Jamal pray before. Jamal, can you close us out in prayer after uh, Brother Harris um, um, speaks? Oh, it's 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 um, my whole thing is this because I've we've I've been in great dialogue with some senior leaders um, with this. I tell folk like this: by the time I'm fifty, I am done pastoring because. I want to bring somebody else in so that I can sit back and enjoy the fruit of my labor. Amen. We have a lot of people that want to wait until they're in the de- the ground, they're dead and they're gone and can't sit back to enjoy the fruit of their labor. But what it is, is Dr. Miles Monroe said something so great. He said the wealthiest place in the world is the cemetery. And the reason why is because we have a lot of people that are dying full and not empty. And the problem that we have now is that we have senior senior leaders that are scared to pour in to the next generation. At the end of the day, we have to understand, I got to pour into somebody, somebody else. And it's so true. Some don't know how to pour into because we have thought this, well, you've got to be the pastor until you die. No, you don't have to be the pastor until you die. Mm-hmm. You can sit back and watch the church continue to grow. And it's all about the passing of the baton. The problem that we have is this, is that it's a twofold thing. There are some senior leaders that want to pour into, but there's some young people that don't want to release what they're trying to pour into them. Amen. It's a a twofold thing with that. But then there's also some young people that want to be poured into, but then you got old saying, Well, I don't want to pour because I don't want them to get ahead of me. Guess what? Let me tell you like this. If you get ahead of me, that shows my productivity. That shows that I put stuff into you, I planted a seed into you. So if you get ahead of me, that's making me, that's great. I understand where you got it from. So I won't be jealous by that, but I celebrate it. And I think that's what it is, is that we have to come to that bridge where we can really have the Elijahs and the Elishas, the Pauls and the Timothys. We need to get back to that place where we have the Moses and the Joshuas. We have to come back to that place where we can bridge the gap, where people have no time with pouring into the people, watch this, and watching it grow. Stop waiting until you're dead and you're gone. You know, Amen. in the day, me pastoring, because guess what? Culture change. So what I have in 20 years may not be what's needed for that generation, that time frame. And so the one that I have that I'm grooming and taking under my wings may have everything that is needed. And so yes. the best way to do is to basically, hey, you here, a uh, missionary? We don't have a junior missionary. I want you to train her. You here, usher? We have this junior usher. I want you to train her. Show her the ropes. Start implementing and so that once you do it, we're good to go. Now I see all the joke, yeah, because I I'm, I'm only 31. So by the time okay, I'm okay, okay, you know, so 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 that's what I tell. That's people. all right. That's I'm all good. right, Pastor, Pastor Harris. We know Pastor Harris will not be that person at his church. And I see Pastor uh, Stevenson said uh, 40 is the new 60. So he's going to be working for a while. So um, I see BG is in the background. I don't know if he's ready to pray. But um, let's um, go ahead. And I would pray, but I, I want to get one of the brothers tonight. Jamal, do, do you feel comfortable um, closing us out in prayer? Yeah, I'll close up. Okay. Thank you, brother. Everybody, let's bow our heads. Uh, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful group. 
and all the all the input and hope and and it just take some of this home take some of this home with you and implement it what we need and what we got today is that we can be and do and from this information that we all got tonight please let let us all do as we leave here thank you again for thank you again for this message thank you again for the messenger continue to bless calvin and as he goes and in, into his ministry and again guys take this home with you and do the work and may god continue to bless you all amen amen and amen amen Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.